This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Trevor in order for Paul. <laughs> Paul, how are you doing? Doing good. In order for Paul to what? That's the question. <laughs> that is the question. In order for Paul to uh, to show up today, I guess. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Maybe you wouldn't have come if it weren't for me. <laughs> exactly. I definitely would not have. Yeah. So I got the, the first boxes ticked. I'm here. There yeah, no, go. I'm doing really well. Like I told you, I'm, uh, I just got back from, uh, a work trip, so I'm a little, I'm drinking some coffee and trying to get myself reoriented, but yeah, I'm really excited to get back into the world of books where I belong. Enough of this work stuff, you know? Yeah, yep, exactly. Our first week back after the holidays, mine was not too bad, but still nice to have a weekend already. <laughs> yeah, I know, it is. Having time off is always wonderful, but it also makes you realize how much you enjoy it and wish you had more of it. So <laughs> it's always that double-edged sword, at least for me. Yep, exactly. Well, welcome to the new year. When we last recorded, it was, you know, it's almost a month ago. Not quite, but almost a month ago, Paul. We've been away. It's good to see you again. I'm excited to chat about books. I'm excited for the new year and for everything that we have. And today, listeners, our topic is kind of similar to last week's, but different, okay? So we, we... Last week, we talked about our reading plans or intentions, you know, personal for 2022 books or projects that we wanted to to get involved in that we kind of have have as goals this week. We're looking forward to the books that are coming out in 2022, uh, but maybe doing it in a way that's a little bit different from just, uh, oh, here are my top five books I'm most looking forward to. We've got questions about 2022 that we want to see answered um, over the year, and we thought this might be a fun way of approaching a what are we most anticipating for 2022. It's similar to the podcast Film Spotting. This is what they do in their in their uh, preview podcasts. They started a few years ago, rather than just again list, listing the five fav- movies they're most anticipating. They thought it would be fun to just say, you know, like, what What are some questions you have? Will this director be nominated for best, you know, best director or something like that? I don't know. And I always really liked those episodes and thought, well, let's let's steal that yeah. and try it here. So I'm excited for, for our conversation because I have no idea what your questions are, Paul. <laughs> I know. Yeah, hopefully it'll be fun. I think it will be. And, and um, yeah, I enjoyed. I had not listened to those episodes from them before, and I listened to a couple just to prepare for this episode. And those are really fun. I would encourage people to, to give them a listen. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be fun today. All right. But before we start, what have you been reading? Well, since I have been traveling, I've kind of squeezed in a little extra <laughs> reading time, you know, being oh, stuck nice. in a hotel room by yourself. It can and, go the other way. I know. I know. I kind of forced it this way, uh, maybe in rebellion of having to travel so quickly after the holidays. <laughs> but so, yeah, I kind of uh, went through a few different books. So, I've been reading um, a book called Music for Wartime by Rebecca Mackay. Um, I'd always been curious about her. You know, I'd seen her name quite a bit. I believe she's best known for her novel, The Great Believers, which was pretty highly acclaimed. Um, and she also regularly has some stories published in the Best American Short Stories collections that come out. So I wanted to try this collection. Um, and I did, and I really enjoyed it. It's covering a real wide range. It's I guess the central themes, if there were themes, would kind of be, as you would guess from the title, there's a lot of music involved, stringed instruments in particular, and people, artists that work in that uh, media, and then a lot of wartime. You know, there's a lot of, some of it is historical or people looking back on war. 
So, but it's not just that. There's also this story about a couple of reality show producers who are manipulating these two contestants to fall in love. There's this one about an elephant who dies in a small town. Um, he's in town for the circus and he dies and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And it takes on almost some kind of like biblical, um, you know, plague type of thing. So she's a really interesting writer. Um, I finished this, I guess, yesterday. And, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of mulling over exactly what I think of it, but it's definitely interesting, intriguing and worth checking out. Um, and then the other one that I just finished, which I really enjoyed, was called The Past by Tessa Hadley. Oh, um, yes. This is my first time reading any of her books. And I, I are you a fan? Big fan. Yeah. Big, big fan. Um, for for years and years, her short stories, I'm always so excited to see them when they show up in like the New Yorker or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I saw this on like a dollar shelf at a used bookstore and I was like, Tessa Hadley, that sounds familiar. And I couldn't remember why. And then I thought it was you and Dorian and there's probably some other people out there who I know turn out to be big fans. But anyway, it came very highly recommended. Um, and it was just such a good companion for this trip. Um, it was the story of a family, these three sisters and a brother. And basically they're going back to visit their grandparents' old dilapidated home for several weeks. And the central mission behind them going is basically to figure out, kind of have a family meeting about what to do with this house. It's kind of turning into a pain. They have a lot of memories tied up in it, but it's starting to get worn down. And, you know, that's the idea of why they're going back. But at the same time, they try to turn it into a little bit of like a family reunion. Um, and com coming along with the, the siblings are, you know, some of their children. There's a wife, an ex-boyfriend, son. So there's a few kind of uh, wild cards, I guess you'd say, in the mix. Um, but anyway, it's just a really, it's, it's probably a quiet novel is how I would describe it, but it's filled with some really excellent characterization and some, she's just really good at like some of those undercurrents of family tensions that are running through something like that. Um, there's one quote that I was just going to um, bring up here. It says, they knew one another well, all too well, and yet they were all continually surprised by the forgotten, difficult twists and turns of one another's personalities so familiar as soon as they appeared. And that, that just kind of resonated with me, like after the holidays, you know, it's always interesting when you're back with your family and, you know, there's all these things that you kind of forget about. Oh yeah, I forgot they do that. And some of it's good. Some of it maybe not so good. Um, so anyway, it's a really good story. I really enjoyed it. Um, I keep seeing it referred to as Chekhovian and I could definitely see that. that that's an accurate way to describe it. So yeah, um, that's what I've been reading. I, I plan on diving into some more of Tessa Hadley soon. Um, and I'd be curious to hear if anybody has recommendations, including you, on where to go next. Sounds like her stories, maybe. I would I would recommend them. It, I put her up with Alice Monroe as one of those authors who really started to help me maybe break out a, a little bit of my own male perspective mm -hmm. and start seeing a, a little bit better how a woman or a young girl, and a lot of Tessa Hadley's uh, characters are adolescent females, going through some things and or maybe uh, someone who's grown up and has relationship with their mom you know really interesting and eye-opening for someone like me who didn't think about that too much as mm -hmm. you know a younger boy and growing up kind of expecting just things to all be the way I saw them right <laughs> and then realizing holy cow it's not even close to the same for everybody <laughs> yeah no I could see her being really good at that based on this book because just the way that she jumped around to the different characters perspectives and some of them were you know maybe middle-aged women 
some of them were, it was, there was a younger daughter who was there as well. And just seeing her deft ability to kind of switch between those points of view and yeah, make it so compelling and and sympathetic. Um, Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I'll definitely have to try those. Awesome. Yeah. Well, what have you been reading? (sighs) I've been reading so much, but not really in a, in an organized way, just in Mm -hmm. a, Oh, what do I want to read tonight? And then I'll grab, you know, 10 books and start fiddling through them. So it hasn't been the most disciplined reading uh, project for for, for a while. A little magpie reading. Yes, exactly. Though I have, um, I have been reading uh, thanks to you, Don Quixote, which I really am loving, loving that. I'd probably be reading it for a while. I am, um, I'm making my way through it, uh, but I don't feel the need to just rush through it. But I also, I'm surprised as you mentioned this when you were reading it at how easy it goes down and mm-hmm. how much when I'm finished with a chapter, I'm not like, okay, I've done my, I've done my chores for the day. It's right. Oh, what's the next one going to be like? It's really good. I yeah. really recommend it to people. And Edith Grossman's translation is, is fantastic. And I've been recommending it to like uh, people in my family who have always kind of talked about Don Quixote because they, they know the story and, um, Maybe they went to Spain and and got some trinkets or, you know, all this, but they've never read the book. And I'm like, look, if you guys are kind of like me and thought, well, I know enough because of the windmills of this 900 page book I know. <laughs> for somehow I already get it. You just don't. It's so much more than that. And his own presence in the book is, is so fun to encounter. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite parts uh, right now is when he steps back and talks about writing the book or discovering the manuscripts or the stories or things like that. Those are really fun. Yeah, that is fun. Well, based on that, not to give you any spoilers, but once you get to the second volume, I think uh-huh. you'll really enjoy that because there's a, a slightly different but similar spin on that. It's awesome. really fun. So, yeah. Other than that, I have been reading a lot of other things, including getting moving on the books that I talked about last episode. And I finished Brandon Sanderson's... Uh, the Bands of Mourning, which is the the third book in his Mistborn Era two sequence, mm-hmm. the fourth of which comes out this this fall. It won't be on my best question or questions of twenty twenty two. I'm just looking forward to that one uh, a lot now, especially that, that the story keeps on building and ramping up, and he always kind of leaves you wanting more. I was going to uh, say, I bet you he leaves you with a cliffhanger, and <laughs> now you have to wait for it. He does. He always he's got this thing. I think I've mentioned it before. That there's always another secret. So every time you get something answered, you start to realize, whoa, that just opens up a whole new ball game, and it's mm. exciting. That's cool. Um, I've been reading the Westing game to my boys, and we have we'll probably finish it today. Just have a few more chapters left. We're just sitting down to basically unwrap the whole mystery and get this solution and all of that, and that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot that's of a fun reading book. it to all four of them, which oh, I've nice. never never really been able to do, and I don't think the youngest cares too much for the story i don't think he you know if i talked to him about it he'd probably know some of the main characters names and whatnot but i'm not sure i don't know he's always there and he does he always surprises me by how much he is um pulling in but Mm -hmm. i i don't know i'll have to see but the others are all engaged in the mystery and trying to figure it out and talking about it and things like that. oh that's cool well if nothing else for the youngest i bet you just that experience of being there with all of you and also uh-huh. seeing the excitement of his brothers and, and also just kind of that the vague memories that he might have someday of just sitting around and being read to you, that all makes it worth it right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so. Now 
I have a few more uh, What Have You Been Readings to go over um, from listeners, if, oh, cool. if you don't mind. I've, no. been, uh, I've been trying to collect emails and, and notes that come in. I don't have all of them. I'm going to try to do better at compiling these as they come in so that I can share more of them. But I just got an email follow-up from our, our friend uh, Jerry, who wrote to us about Monroe's books. Uh, mm-hmm. He thanked us for mentioning that in our last podcast and said, I know you and Paul have big reading plans this year, but I wanted to recommend one short book that was recently republished. He says Jacques Poulin's Winter Rounds, but I'm pretty sure he means Jacques Poulin's Autumn Rounds, mm-hmm. which was just recently uh, reissued by Archipelago in their translation from Sheila uh, Fleischmann. The... He says, the book's English translation was originally published by Cormorant Books almost 20 years ago, and the original work was published in 1993. As such, it captures a time and place just before the arrival of the internet and cell phones, and in its own quiet way is magical. The story follows the aging driver of a bookmobile, mobile library, as he plies his time-honored route up the shore of the St. Lawrence River from Quebec City, Some of the magic is in the landscape itself, and some of the magic is in the books he lends out to the ordinary people he encounters. As such, this book is highly recommended to anyone who loves literature and nature. Oh, boy. I jump on this recommendation. I did read this when it came out a few, you know, it was like a month ago or two. And Jacques Poulain... He's one of the first authors I started reading with with, um, Archipelago. Uh, with um, Spring Tides and Translation is a Love Affair. There may have been another one in there, I can't remember, but uh, really like his tone. It's very it's very soft in a way, and this is possibly my favorite of the ones that I have read this Autumn Rounds. Probably for the very reasons that Jerry says, uh, the... Um, it's about, it's about books and about someone sharing books and about people looking forward to getting their books or being surprised by by books. So this could probably have fallen into the what you know what do we recommend? But because I had just read this one not too long ago, I thought I would throw it in right now. Yeah. Um, wow, that one <laughs> ticks every box from you know nature, love of literature, mm-hmm. translated fiction. Like, <laughs> pretty sure that might have been written for me. So um, I don't own that one yet, but. I will touch on something later that will okay. bear on all of this with Archipelago. Um, so, but yeah, that one sounds wonderful. Well, here's something else that someone has just finished. This is Jane who left a comment on, on one of my posts. She says, just listening to this and have to leave these classic nature book recommendations before I forget. So this is for you too, Paul. Okay. Um, Edwin Way Teal wrote so much, but to start his four book journey through the seasons is a must. Northward with the spring, Journey into Summer, Autumn Across America, Wandering Through Winter. I love those titles. I do have, you, too. have you heard of any of these before? I ha- it sounds familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think I have actually. Or if I have, it's been long enough that I've forgotten about it, but I love those titles too. Well, and, and Jane says these can be hard to find, so keep them in mind in used bookstores. Mm-hmm. And then again, because I'm trying to shoehorn this into what have you been reading? She says, I just finished the books of Jacob. It was really kind of amazing. I'm already a Tokarczyk fan and have read uh, Drive Your Plow and Flights. So I thought, you know, I know you oh, got yeah. that for Christmas. 
I did. It's sitting there waiting for me. I, I am, and I'm starting to see some feedback. I try not to pay too much attention to the to the hype, but the reviews that I'm starting to see are all glowing so far. So that only adds to my excitement. Well, on my Goodreads page, the Mooks and the Gripes Goodreads page, there are quite a few dissenters. Mm, interesting. So maybe dissenting is the wrong word. I don't know if they're like saying, oh, this is the worst book I've ever read. Mm-hmm. I just think they're like, oh, there are a lot of issues here that I don't, this this did not did not work for me as That's much as like plows or flights or something like that. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is she does seem, even within her fans, at least my impression is that different books appeal more to different people. You know, even if they're a fan of her mm-hmm. work, some people like some of them more than others. Like I really liked Plows, but for me, Flights was definitely of the two I've read so far, the standout. And so, yeah, I'll just be curious to see how that that works out when I start reading it. But well, and for listeners too, um, I have you ever seen me post on Instagram or on Twitter about the Boxwalla uh, mm-hmm. book club? I have. So it's a great subscription service. Every couple months they do a book box or a beauty box or a film box. Um, I, they've never sent me the beauty box. Oh, I don't well, know they just figure you're already there. Yeah, you don't need I, it. I, <laughs> however, I will say in their in their um, book box that came a few months ago, they had this uh, like face mask stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like um, honey spice. And I used it a lot. I used it last night. Nice. <laughs> it's so it smells so good, and it's nice yeah. just to sit there and read with the. It doesn't become like crusty or anything. It, it's mm-hmm. one that just kind of moisturizes. <laughs> Very cool. See, I like it. Yeah, there we go. So that came with their book box once. So they mix it up a little bit. However, they are um, in their February book box. Everybody gets the books of Jacob, and then you select what you want to be your second book from a few options. One, which you and I just recently read and loved, is Elizabeth Taylor's Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. Mm-hmm. That would be a fine book box to get in the mail. Books of wow. Jacob and Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. Uh, one is Swat Dervish's In the Shadow of the Yali. Um, she's a Turkish writer. And I do have this one. It came out recently from other press. And then the other one is Rainer Maria Rilke's Duino Elegies, uh, the poet. And um, so those are the three options. You choose one of those. And wow. they often send other little knickknacks with them, you know, pictures or pins or stickers or, you know, face masks, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> um, and they're, they're a lot of fun. I really like their taste. I really like their um, curation. And their their model and their enthusiasm online. So if you're interested in the books of Jacob, this might be a good way to to get it. Yeah, it sounds like a great way. And based on what you just told me, man, their curation does sound like it's impeccable. I mean, any of those second secondary choices that you got in that box would just be a slam dunk to me. So yeah, yeah, great. absolutely. Well, let me do one more little bit of listener feedback. Uh, I wanted to thank Padma. Uh, she recently. Uh, changed her Patreon support from $1 a month to $5 a month. Padma, thank you so much. Uh, we already appreciated you at the $1. And of course, we owe you a bookish uh, surprise box now, which we'll get out there. But she also sent a couple of notes along the way. Um, you know, thank you. Looking forward to both the booking bookish surprise. Absolutely no rush. Well, we'll get it out to you soon still. <laughs> 
as well as the Comfort Reads episode. Yes, Paul, she recommended that we do a, an episode focused on Comfort Reads, so I'm putting know, it on love, the record. We've yeah, I love that. that idea. That's a great <laughs> idea. Thank you, Padma. And um, just to whet our appetite, she says, some of my favorite Comfort Reads are Muriel Sparks, A Far Cry from Kensington, um, The Gold Bat by Woodhouse, one of his early school novels, now in the public domain, Austin's Persuasion, uh, such a satisfying ending despite the looming war. True Grip by Charles Portis. Was there ever another such heroine? And The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, one book that could be read from ages 9 to 99, best read under the blanket with an, with the aid of a flashlight. I especially love The Red-Headed League, The Speckled Band, and The Boscombe Valley Mystery. Uh, looking forward to hearing your favorites as well as those of other listeners. So, yep, I guess we're also trying to get listeners to maybe jump on board there. Not sure when this will come out, um, but we will be doing a Comfort Reads episode and mm-hmm. would love to hear uh, what your Comfort Reads are so that we can we can get that going. Yeah, thank you so much, Pat. No, that was so generous of you. And man, Trevor, have you noticed our, our listeners have impeccable taste? It's mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> Every time yeah. they list these books, I'm just like either some of my own favorites or I'm like jotting down <laughs> as quickly as I can because they just sound so good. Uh, yeah, yeah and we got a lot today too already. And we haven't even started with our questions. I know. Um, Oh boy. Good stuff. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I love getting feedback again. I know there's been other notes that we've gotten and I am, I am sorry for not uh, sharing them right now. Uh, but please, please keep sending. We, we'd yeah. love to hear from you. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things as I keep saying, just whether it's Twitter, emails, Instagram, however people contact us, mm-hmm. it always gives me such a boost and makes me, you know, it's just the reason we did this was just to talk about books. So it's so much fun. Yeah, share that enthusiasm, hear other people's enthusiasm and recommendations. Mm-hmm. Hopefully make people feel uh, welcome to share that enthusiasm, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I figure. All right. Well, Paul, 2022, you know, it's, it's what is today? January 8th, Saturday. This will come out this next Thursday. So it's pretty early in the year. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to a lot of books that are being published and I have some questions about which ones I'll like the most, which ones will be, you know, surprises, which ones, you know, one of my main questions always is which ones have we not even got on our horizon, meaning we're not thinking about it, will turn out to be some of our favorites ever. And that's always a fun thing. But we wanted to have an episode focused on what is actually being published in 2022 by, by, by publishers. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the first time it's ever been published. You know, we love a lot of these publishers that do backlisted titles, mm-hmm. NYRB Classics, you know, this this um, Autumn Rounds by Jacques Poulain. Uh, it's almost 30 years old, actually, but just came out to us from Archipelago last year. So we're going to keep that open, but we are focused on books that should be, you know, showing up in a new edition, a new issue this 2022. And I'm excited to to hear how you kind of went about making your questions. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool, I like this idea. I'm glad you did this. It challenged me. I was probably bugging you a little bit, like, just to be clear. And, you know, just, I wanted to make sure not, that not I did bugging. it. A, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I did it, you know, in a way that would be appealing to everybody. So yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this project. It was, so yeah, it's going to be fun to kind of dig in. There's so many books, man. That's what I was noticing as I was trying to put together these lists is like, there was a bunch that were already kind of on my radar, but then there's also so many that I was like, Oh geez, I didn't even know that was coming out. So it's a lot what did of fun. you do? What was your process? So listeners know, cause I, I, you know, some people I'm sure are aware of ways to figure out what's coming out and you've got, you know, most anticipated books of 2022, you know, mm-hmm. posts all over the web. But what, what did you do to, to prepare for this? 
Yeah, I did look at a lot of those, you know, that came out from whether it was from a publisher or or a blog or different things like that. I mean, for example, our friend Rebecca Hussey, man, she has some really good stuff that comes out about the translated books that are coming out this year that she's most looking forward to. So I definitely had some help from my friends going through lists like that. I also just went to some of the usual suspects as far as, you know, NYRB or Archipelago, some of our favorites and started looking through their catalogs for the coming years. So it's kind of a a grab bag. And then, you know, just being on Twitter in such a vibrant community that's always sharing all these things too. I was just kind of scanning through the past couple of weeks and just trying to see which other books people were mentioning. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I kind of took a scattershot approach, which was fun, actually really fun. And that's kind of how (laughs) I discovered a lot of these books that I was like, oh man. Do you feel like it was a a discovery process? Like it wasn't just trying to retrofit questions into things you already were excited about or did you find that some things that were like whoa it's really surprising that is exciting yeah no definitely that for sure and another thing is i i don't want to give any spoilers but it also gave me some excitement <laughs> about some other things that i have you know that i planned on already um exploring this year but it gave me a little more focus with some of these these projects that i'm going to be doing so yeah no it was a lot of fun how about you awesome. what was your approach well, some of my favorite places to go and visit frequently are like Edelweiss or NetGalley, where you mm-hmm. can see what publishers are putting out there is potentially available for an um, advanced reader copy or an ARC. But I do love going to, you know, I have a list of publishers that every few months I will search their new catalog and find it online, usually in PDF form. And mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite things to do is sit down and just go through those for an hour or two. Yeah. And that's what I did. And as well as just trying to keep my ear to the ground and see what was rumbling about on Twitter and and whatnot. And I, you know, I don't think many of these will be, they're no longer surprising to me because I've been thinking about this for a month or two (laughs) as we've prepared. Right. Um, And they might not be super surprising to listeners, but I hope that some of them um, are still exciting and surprising, but I'm excited for 2022 and these, these books and, and for these questions to be answered. So yeah, I do. All right. Well, let's hear, let's hear one of your questions. All right. Well, the first one I started off with was which books this year will be the Jonathan Franzen or Sally Rooney equivalent from last (laughs) year. And the way I was approaching that was highly acclaimed, well publicized, maybe some would argue, maybe a little over publicized. And often maybe a little divisive too, you know, because mm-hmm. both Franzen and Rooney, they have, it seems like anytime you reach those heights of popularity, you have tons of people who love your work, but then there's also that other side of things where people, you know, there's the pushback. So I was trying to think of it in that lens. And so the first one that comes out here, it'll be out by the time this episode comes out that came to mind for me was To Paradise by Hanya Yanagahara. Oh, oh yeah, um, I definitely have seen quite a bit about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the hype thing for sure. And then I know a lot of people with both of her books that have come out previously. So I read um, The People in the Trees probably five or six years ago, and I was kind of lukewarm about it, to be honest. I wasn't really, it was fine, but I didn't love it. But then I kept hearing all the hype when A Little Life came out and I tried that one. And man, I loved that book. It was a gut punch of a book in pretty much every sense, but it was just stunning, I thought. But 
and here's the part about divisive. I also have heard so many people who just hated that book and thought it was needlessly bleak or all these other criticisms. And, you know, so I think this one coming out is probably going to be, we're going to hear a lot about it, you know, good and bad. Um, I'll just give a really quick description. It says three stories spanning three centuries about different versions of the American experiment, an alternate version of 1893, 1993 AIDS epidemic in Manhattan, and a totalitarian regime in 2093. So right there, I mean, that's, she's definitely, um, as she's wont to do, she's swinging for the fences. It's not like she's sitting back and not trying anything new. Um, So anyway, that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah. So another one that I think kind of fits in that same category is Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. You know, in listening to podcasts and hearing from other readers, I know Station Eleven was just beloved by so many people. It's another one I have to admit I thought it was fine. I didn't love it personally. I but, did really like Station yeah. Eleven in a in a weird. I was taken on completely off guard by how mm-hmm. much I enjoyed it. Yeah, which was a no. I could surprise. I could appreciate. I mean, it's one of those where you can appreciate the craft, and I'm not saying it, it's more on me. It just wasn't necessarily one that that clicked mm-hmm. for me. But man, talk about hype! That book has just been one that you keep hearing about even all these years later. So I'll be very curious to hear how Sea of Tranquility is received by everyone. Um, is that one that you think you'll read? Yeah. Yeah. It was, just, I guess, maybe an honorable mention. Oh, another look into my process. The way that I did this is I really did look up titles that I'm like, oh, I'm excited about that. And then I tried to figure out if I had an interesting question to ask about mm-hmm. it. And looking through my my notes here, uh, sea of Tranquility was one that just kind of stayed in title form, never mm-hmm. became a question, so I wasn't going to bring it up. But yes, yeah, I, I really like her. I, I, I didn't love Station Eleven either. I just was impressed enough that I was like, oh, I want to keep my eye on yeah. on on what she's doing. So yeah, absolutely. Exactly. No, that's that's right. And I won't go into detail on these other ones, but just a few more that I think could fit into this category based on kind of the hype around them is. Uh, there's Young Mungo by Douglas Stewart, the author of Shuggy Bane. Oh, uh, yes. That Did you read that one? Out. I am actually listening to it right now. I, well, that another one that completely surprised me. And man, you're, you're really kind of hitting these notes. It could, like, I didn't read um, the Hanya Yonagahara Little Life because mm-hmm. when listening to the Reader's Podcast, I thought, well, things that Simon are saying definitely make sense. I'm so glad he loves it. I'd much rather someone love a book than, than hate it. Mm-hmm. But I felt probably more persuaded by what Thomas was saying about it, who did not like that book at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I never read it. And right. I was very worried that Shuggy Bain would be in that same kind of just mm-hmm. a little bit of an agony um, book. Mm-hmm. And again, I was really shocked at how many different layers there were to that and delighted. So, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. To no, no, I'm you. glad. No, I'm glad you did. And I'm actually just as a side note, I'm listening to the audio of that. And boy, I would highly recommend that if, if the <laughs> accent and everything, everything about it is well done. So yeah, and I, again, I won't go into detail, but just a few more that I could see, you know, I'm very intrigued to see how they're received. The new Marlon James. Um, he has that new one in that trilogy that's coming out, um, which I have not read any of those. But again, I know that those are very popular. Um I mean, there's so many big names coming out too. There's Elena Ferrante and Jennifer yeah. Egan. Either one of those, I could see just being another one of those. Because yeah. again, you know, they have a lot of people who really love them, but there, there's always that subset of detractors. So, you know, I won't go on and on, but those were, that was my first question. It's just, I'm going to be kind of curious to see like the really big hyped books 
which ones kind of emerge. And there's probably some that we don't even know about that'll explode mm-hmm. on the scene. Well, really quick on Jennifer Egan, the New mm-hmm. Yorker just published an excerpt of The Candy House, which is her next novel, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a parallel novel to A Visit from the Goon Squad that won the Pulitzer oh. back in 2011, which I did love. I was, I, I really liked A Visit from the Goon Squad. Can't remember it super well other than the kind of Our unique presentation. <laughs> presentation. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And the, the Candy House uh, does have me interested for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, I, another side note, we're going to keep digressing here, but I actually got the chance to meet her. She came to our library and did a book signing for Manhattan Beach, which sadly, although I have a wonderful signed copy from her, I have not yet read. Don't tell her. I got a copy too and didn't read it. Not signed, not signed, but you know, the good stuff's still there. I just, we we bonded over Herman Melville. She has a note in there about Moby Dick, which is really cool. Um, But anyway, yeah. I, I have really. When she listens everything. to this episode, she'll be like, "Oh, that I remember sitting yeah. down with Paul, and that was so delightful." It's my old buddy Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure that'll happen. No, but I'm really intrigued by that, and I didn't realize that was kind of a companion to Goon Squad. So that makes me even more interested in reading it. Yeah. Did you like Goon Squad? Did you read that one? I did. Yeah, I really liked it. That was one actually. I listened to the audiobook. Oh and boy. That, in retrospect, <laughs> that was a huge mistake because. I didn't know at the time. I knew there was a lot uh-huh. of hype around it, but I didn't realize all the formatting um, creativity that goes into it and all those different things. So I own a copy and I've been meaning for years to go back and reread it the way it should have been read in the first place. So maybe mm-hmm. this is going to be the year where I should make it kind of a back-to-back or something like that. You know, maybe we can get into this sometime, another time, but this raises a question. I don't really want to go back and read A Visit from the Goon Squad because mm-hmm. I really loved it but all the detractors it made me think that I was just hoodwinked or something, you know, by, yeah. by the weird thing. And so I don't want to necessarily go back and be like, Oh yeah, this actually isn't very good. I know I'd, I'd like to go back and realize, Oh yeah, I do love this. And I'm excited for, you know, for, for that fact, but it does sometimes happen that you love a book and then there's enough of a backlash that you start to wonder if you were just wrong I know sometimes I'm not like, I'm like, Oh, I don't care. I, I, I know, know I remember, but this, it's been long enough that I'm like, oh, did I love Goon Squad? Would I love it now? I don't know. Yeah, that would be, that would be a very interesting conversation. Cause that's definitely a real thing. And that's why I try to avoid the hype going into a book. Cause mm-hmm. I don't want to get my views colored, but as much yeah. reading as we do about books, retrospectively, there's no way you can avoid hearing about these things, whether you've re- read them or not over the years. But yeah, that would be a really interesting conversation well, to have. And kind of along those lines, I did not read the new Sally Rooney last year. I did not read the new Jonathan Franzen. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to get, uh, I don't know. Sometimes that hype machine can be uh, a little bit poisonous and um, make you feel like you have to, like you have to read it and then put expectations on yourself. So yeah, yeah that's a really good question. I, I'm always fascinated to know what books will strike that, that you see on Instagram every everywhere that you hear mm-hmm. about on Twitter that actually makes it to like other parts of the, the news cycle. And yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, what is your first question? All right. My first question is, will we soon become addicted to McNally editions? Mm. Paul, I got a copy of their new forthcoming edition of daddy's gone hunting by Penelope Mortimer. And it is really fun. There's this kind of a little dust jacket with this Mm -hmm. art on it. But then if you take the dust jacket off, 
it almost looks like you're you've got an an ARC copy. Yeah. You know, it's just this kind of plain um, cover. It's numbered. This is McNally Editions number two, numbered both on the cover and on the spine. That can be dangerous to start doing that. I know. Actually, they know what they're doing. They do. I'm actually glad NYRB Classics stopped doing that because, oh man, that would just be miserable, I think. But if you can get it on the ground floor, it's kind of fun to see these things start to line up. And uh, so what they are, McNally Edition, this is from McNally Jackson, the bookstore in, uh, in New York. And they are coming out with their own imprint. So cool. Where they're, they're re-issuing um, uh, old books and... They have a slate. I think they start in February uh, coming out with their books. Um, and you can subscribe and get every one of their first six books for $81. And it's like this Daddy's Gone Hunting. They have Winter Love by Han Suyin, which I think looks really interesting. Uh, they have a David Foster Wallace, something to do with paying attention is what it's called. They have K. Dix. They, they have Margaret Kennedy's uh, Troy Chimneys. And then they have Roy Heath's The Murderer. And I love the way these look. I really like the uh, the lineup. I haven't read any of these. And I'll, I'll be getting into Daddy's Gone A-Hunting. And I'm kind of anxious to see how these look on the shelf. Because they're all different colors. Like this Daddy's Gone A-Hunting is kind of this burnt orange, almost red, uh, yeah. faded red cover. But the others are, you know, there's blue and gray and green. And um, it just looks like that could be a pretty serious addiction. <laughs> I know. No, those are gorgeous. And based on the curation that they have in their store, I think I mentioned when I was in New York and, and when I've gone to their, their print street location, man, their translated literature section mm-hmm. alone is like such a gem. It's like the size of some bookstores, just translated fiction. So yeah, if they have the same curation skill that, and it sounds like they do that they do it for their stores, that's going to be a really good one to get in. Well, $81, get it on the ground floor, anybody who wants nice. to. Um, they did send me this copy of Daddy's Gone Hunting, but I'm like, oh, okay, I, I yeah. want to get the rest of them. So yeah. what They're dangling that doing. lure in the water, you're going <laughs> to take a bite. But I'm excited for it. I'll, and like I say, they start they start next month. I think they might be releasing either one book a month, or maybe it's two books, and then the month off, two books. But you know, kind of for the first part of 2022, you'll get these six books. Oh, out. man. So so dangerous out there. There's so many good publishers and so many wonderful subscriptions, which uh-huh. yeah, I will touch on a little more. All right. Well, let's hear your next one. You ready? Okay. This will kind of tie right into that. So my second question is, will the Dalkey Archive slash Deep Vellum relaunch be a big success? Ooh, I hope so, so. I do too. <laughs> you know, as we all know for a while, you know, with Dalkey Archive, the, 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 the books themselves have never been an issue. They put out so mm-hmm. many interesting, fascinating, obscure, weird, difficult books. I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, are addicted, but there's also been so many issues in recent years with just availability and from what I understand, customer service, all these different things, but all that leading into the fact that there's been this huge new relaunch that they're doing with the bookstore Deep Vellum to kind of restructure and rebrand the Dalkey archive. And it's culminating in this relaunch with a full season list of spring and summer titles this year. And then they're also doing this really cool rejuvenation of certain titles from their archives. And if you haven't seen their new website, you should go check it out. It's it's beautiful and and very, uh, again, dangerous. I keep using that word, but I can't <laughs> think of else. So they have this part of it called Dalkey Archive Essentials. So that's a collection of vital reissues from their backlist. So just to give a quick taste, 
They're going to reissue 10 titles per season, beginning with Eros, The Bittersweet by Ann Carson, Yellow Back Radio Broke Down by Ishmael Reed, At Swim Two Birds by Flan O'Brien, which I know is a, hmm. a big favorite. I love that book. Um, and I actually just got the third policeman. I don't know if you saw my wife. It's like, oh, I forgot. I got you another Christmas present that oh, just came in. And I haven't so, been too good at keeping up on Twitter this week. So I yeah, so that was, I got a little uh, January pick-me-up on that. That's but cool. yeah, there's so many other ones. There's Trilogy by Jan Fassa, um, Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson, The Sotweed mm-hmm. Factory by John Barth. I mean, oh, and then the one that I am really excited about, and I know a lot of other people are too, is Miss Macintosh, My Darling by Marguerite Young which is this kind of like mythical unicorn of a book from what I gather that everybody who's been able to track down a copy just says it's so good, but it's been really hard to find. So I am really excited about that one. Um, And then in addition, they're also coming out with some um, more forthcoming releases in spring and summer, the burn book. Um, Let's see. There's, there's a whole list of them. The long cut by Emily Hall the deer by Dashiell Carrera. So, you know, <laughs> that whole thing, I mean, just talk about all these gems that are just being released in this big flood after kind of this pent up demand. Yes. I think if I had to guess the answer to my question is going to be a huge success. But. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine a better combination um, mm-hmm. than what, what kind of co- happened there with Dalkey over the last, you know, six months or whatever it's been since we learned about this perfect people involved um skilled know what they're doing and there's a there was a an absence there yeah the Dalkey archive is important and i've always looked forward to what was going on there it was it was sad when it started to kind of be difficult to mm-hmm. know whether if you ordered a book it was going to to ever even be published let alone arrive and it's just not going to be that way anymore but yeah they uh, they've got the right people involved and again just there's a thirst, a, a hunger. I think when they come out, there will be a lot of us who are try, trying to jump right on that. Well, speaking of the good people involved, I, sh- I should mention too, Chad Post from Open Letter Books is heavily involved in that as well. And if you're interested in, in how this all came about, I know in his podcast, he's talked a little bit about how all of it came about. And he's also posted some videos of the old Dalkey archive <laughs> basement with all these like disorganized books. And, and it's really, it's like catnip for a book reader. So yeah, having him involved on top of Will Evans and all these mm-hmm. other people, I mean, it, there's no way that I can see that it's not going to be a huge success. And I'm, I'm just thrilled for it, that it's, that it's uh, shaping up to be such a, a cool thing in 2022. Well, so listeners who are like, what the heck guys, you just recommended like 50 books. Just, just pay attention to the publishers for, yeah. for these. Like, you know, that's the open the door for you if you don't already to look at some of these publishers. And I'll throw out one more, which we've already talked about with my next question. Um, I wasn't even sure if I should ask this because I, I asked it a few weeks ago. Which line will publish my favorite book of 2022? NYRB Classics or New York Review Books? Ooh, <laughs> because I can go back over the last 10 years and nearly every year, my favorite book of the year was something published by NYRB classics. Mm-hmm. Even, um, even last year it was the enchanted April and they had a few other books on my list, but also the, the New York review books, you know, same, same um, overarching, you know, people, but just different imprint there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely were taking uh, 
you know, standing up and taking notice that, Hey, don't, don't neglect this line. This is not a side project. Um, It is uh, important. And what a lineup both of them have for 2022. I'll just, I'll maybe just leave it at that for NYRB classics because we've already had listeners go and and check that out. But New York review books, they, they just got the rights to release a couple of Gwendolyn Riley books which have been very difficult to find in the in the U.S. When last year, um, her her latest uh, book, My uh, My Phantoms, uh, came out in the U.K., uh, Dorian and I were just uh, kind of trying to find when's this coming out in the U.S. Where, when, how, right. and um, it was it, it just wasn't being made available, even though it looked like there were some things kind of under the surface. But New York Review Books. They'll be putting that one out as well as her other book, First Love, in I think August. I don't see them showing up on their website yet. So, but they, you know, I only know that because they announced it publicly. I didn't, you know, get that anywhere, any other way. So, not, yeah. I hope I'm not <laughs> spilling the beans too much, but I think that was all on Twitter um, with mm-hmm. them releasing those. But yeah, those, those are maybe going to be favorite books of 2022 candidates as well as so many other ones that both of those lineups have. So I guess I already assume the assumption is that it'll be one of these publishers and I'm excited to, to see which one. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. They're getting dangerous if like NYRB classics isn't enough. Like they already dominate like four bookshelves for me. <laughs> and then I'm looking over and seeing that NYRB books list starting to grow <laughs> as well. But yeah, it's, it's, there's so many good books. That's a great question. Can't All right, what, do, what else do you have? So my fourth question is a little more specific. Can Jeff Dyer change my change my mind about sports books? <laughs> so um, Jeff Dyer has a new book coming out this year called The Last Days of Roger Federer. Um, so despite loving sports my whole life, I've always enjoyed watching American football, you know, hockey. I like baseball. You know, I'm not I'm not a jock far from it, but I've just always enjoyed watching sports, but despite loving watching sports, I have always pretty much hated movies and books about sports. I'm just not that interested in the athletes themselves necessarily, you know, just because they're athletes. You know, Mm -hmm. what I like about sports is that, you know, within the rules of any given game, that almost anything can happen when you're watching live. It's like one of the few things you can watch where you just have no idea what's going to happen, you know, a movie or different things like that you know, you know, ahead of time that it's established what's going to happen. But with sports, there's just that kind of wild card chance of anything could happen. And I feel like anytime you get into a book or a movie about sports, that's lost. You know, I think of some of the, at least to me, I'm not trying to offend anybody who likes these types of things, but it's it's often cheesy, you know, remember the Titans or even I'm going to lose some, some followers for this one, but field of dreams or Hoosiers, you know, just, (laughs) I'm not really a raw, raw sports kind of guy, but Jeff Dyer specializes to me in in taking some topic that may not even appeal to me and just making it absolutely fascinating. Like the the example that comes to mind, first of all, for me is um, his book, But Beautiful, which is all about jazz. And I like jazz well enough, but I'm far from a connoisseur. But I read that book and it just stunned me. Like it's one of the best books I've ever read on music, which is a very hard subject to write about. Um, So if anybody could do it, and convince me that, you know, there's a sports book worth reaching out for. It might be this one. 
um, by Jeff Dyer. So, you know, to be fair, I don't think it's all about sports. I'll just give it really quick. It says when artists and athletes age, what happens to their work? Does it ripen or not achieve a new serenity or succumb to an escalating torment as our bodies decay? How do we keep on? So I think it's looking at not just, you know, obviously Roger Federer, but a whole group of different people, John Coltrane, Bjorn Borg, Beethoven, looks like even Nietzsche. So anyway, I thought that was just kind of a fun frame to look at it and see if you can kind of win me over a little bit. Have you read Andy Miller's sports book? No. By any chance? I haven't. I can't remember the title of it. I'll send you a link. Um, I I have not read it either, but I've heard him talk about it. I'd like to, Mm -hmm. because he's basically uh, writing it from the perspective of someone who does not like sports. And I know that's not you, but some interesting angles it sounds like so i'll, yeah. I'll uh i think you'd uh you, you, that might be another one to throw in there and see if it if it well i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he'll he'll be able to win us over i know regardless yeah of the, uh, <laughs> as always if the writing is strong enough they can win you over yeah like I, the one book i can think of that i really did enjoy the sports book and it's again kind of sports adjacent is there was an essay by David Foster Wallace that was again about tennis. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe there's a link there, but yeah. So it's not that it, it might've been, I can't remember. I can't remember either. I might be wrong there, but yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I'm going to be really interested. I'm just always happy whenever Jeff Dyer comes out with a new book, he has such a fascinating mind and I love the way he approaches his, his subjects. So, so I like Jeff Dyer a ton myself and love his book about stalker you know he he always does have an interesting Mm -hmm. way to get into things i i'm realizing now i might be like you because that book has been available to me um from fsg and i have not gotten it yet Mm -hmm. because it's a sports book (laughs) even though i too like sports i watch you know i watch quite a bit i enjoy the fun i enjoy the the uh drama Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out and, and yeah. see how I feel. You got me intrigued by that question. <laughs> and I'm, I'm picturing we'll get some hate mail from some people. Maybe Gavin Walter, I think is a big sports book guy. So maybe he can like um, snap us out of this and point us in the direction of a few good sports books. Well, that I, your mind. I do like a field of dreams, but I totally understand why, why, why people wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. But, but okay. Little, little diversion um, for Christmas, my mom and dad, got me a set of baseball cards, but these are special baseball cards. My dad's dad um, had 10 brothers, I believe, in his family. And so my dad's grandpa, as they were growing up, had them all on the same baseball team. And they They were the baseball team. They were the baseball team. (laughs) It was was that. And they would challenge other uh, baseball teams around the country to, to play them. And... They, they traveled. That's what they did was a traveling like family baseball team. And my dad's dad uh, was on that. And that's the, the baseball card. They're homemade. I mean, they're not homemade. My parents didn't make them, but you know, they're, they weren't like real, you know, issued baseball cards from back then. Someone had gone through and taken photographs of them. Um, and on the back had put in stories about them or things that they did their positions and it was for the whole family too, like the the mom, you know, is the mm-hmm. uh, the person who made their baseballs. Um, oh wow! And that little set was so. I mean, I, I was like Christmas Day. I don't, and I don't know these people very well at all, other than through stories. Because even my dad's dad, 
Uh, my dad was born in 1943 in September, and his dad died in January of 1944. So my dad mm-hmm. did not know his dad um, at all. And that's always, you know, made me feel really sad. And, um, you know, my dad grew up with just a single mom and she's amazing, you know, but through their stories and everything, I kind of always felt close to this family still. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, on Christmas day, I'm like reading through them and, oh, this is really cool. And I start to get emotional and I'm like, what the heck, how is this happening? (laughs) And, and I realized, you know, so I posted some things on Twitter about that set and kind of going through things that I was learning. I did know one of my, my grandpa's brothers, he lived not too far away from us when I was growing up. He died when I was pretty young. But, um, but yeah, and I put on there and yes, just so everybody knows, I get literally choked up at the end of Field of Dreams and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just different experiences can make certain things resonate. Even if you're looking at and going, I get why people say, you know, that's just sentimental nostalgia. Right. I'm like, it sure is. <laughs> but it got it me. Fits. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. No, that's really fascinating. That's a cool story. And again, I don't mean to like disparage, like when I say that I'm not interested oh, I... in the athletes, I mean like at the end of the day, the, the people themselves, of course, you're interested in that. It's just not the, the fact that they're athletes isn't what appeals to right. me. So yeah, no, those kind of human stories though, that's where I could see myself getting more into the idea of like a sports book for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dorian uh, gave us both a pretty good compliment saying he considers honorary Canadians for how often we apologize and try to, you know, Hey, no, no. <laughs> I'll take that. So I, like yeah, I thought, thanks Dorian. Mm-hmm. I hope we're not, we don't do anything offensive now that we have that appellation, then I was like, that's wait, true. that's exactly what I should say as, <laughs> as an honorary Canadian. <laughs> well, I'll kind of keep on the FSG for my next question. Uh, just a little bit, at least partially. Um, will the best short story collection of 2022 that comes out, is it going to be Tova Ditlevson's, uh The Trouble with Happiness, which comes out from FSG here in a few months? Or is it going to be Colin Barrett's homesickness, uh, which, which comes out here in, um, uh, a couple of months as well from Grove Atlantic. I know listeners, I am taking a, you know, an assumption here of that there won't be others. And right. that's part of the fun, I guess, is just, Hey, which, which of these is going to be the best short story club? I'm totally open to there being others, but these are two that I'm really looking forward to. Um, the Tova Ditlitson just because uh, largely because of you, Paul, realizing I was kind of missing out and loving the short story that showed up in the New Yorker um, over the last, uh, you know, maybe two or three months ago and realizing this is fantastic. I mm-hmm. can't wait to see the short story collection. And then Colin Barrett's no favorite. He has his homesickness collection coming out um, here shortly. I have a copy of that. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm excited to, because I just love his, his short stories in general. Um, but yeah, Tova Ditlevson or Colin Barrett, it's coming down to those two. <laughs> yeah. That's the only two choices. That's interesting. I don't actually know Colin Barrett, so I'll have to familiarize myself mm, yeah. with him. But like you said, I, my early vote without knowing anything about him, I got to go with Tova, but who knows? Who I'll knows? Explore. And I'm I looking for see. contenders. I'm looking for people to show me that I'm just wrong and it's actually something else. That's, yeah. that would be really exciting. Yes, please. Yeah. With all these, I, I'm hoping that people will send in and tell us where we're wrong or not wrong, but other ideas. So Mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's going to be fun to watch. I did see that um, the Copenhagen trilogy was on our friend travel through stories on Mm -hmm. Twitter, which I believe the guy's name is Sean. Um, He made a wonderful end of year list and he listed that one as one of his top 
12 favorite books he cheated <laughs> like us um but yeah so i know that there's a lot of people that are going to be looking forward to probably both of those books all right what you got next all right well i'm going to do one more sheet <laughs> with, with a big group of of books um and <laughs> then i will making show notes for this people yeah <laughs> seriously <so> you know <laughs> Well, as I've already said on this podcast, one of the things I'm most excited about in 2022 is I ended up getting that Constellation membership from Archipelago, mm-hmm. and I am just over the moon. It's like, I feel like a kid Christmas. I'm just so <laughs> excited. Um, just to remind people, it's 10 to 12 of their new books coming out this year, and then 10 to 12 of their backlisted titles, which you can either tell them which ones you'd like, or you can leave it up to them to curate. And I chose a little of both, actually, which is huh? very exciting. I said... Here's some that I would love to have on your backlisted group, but they're so wonderful. The people over at Archipelago, they said, but, and then I said, would it be okay if I gave you some and then you, you, your team curates the rest based on what I like? And they said, absolutely. So all that to say, the new books that are coming out this year, I'm just curious which Archipelago books from my new subscription will be my favorite. So they have so many good ones coming out. I'm not going to read all of them. You can look through their, their catalog, but there's one Distant Transit by Maya Hatterlap translated from the German by Tess Lewis. It looks wonderful. There's one, I always struggle on some of these pronunciations, so hopefully I'm getting this right. I believe it's called Salka Valka by Haldor Laxness, translated from the Icelandic by Philip Rofton. Moldy Strawberries um, by Kaya Fernando Abreu, translated from the Portuguese by Bruna Dantas Lobato. And then one more that I'll mention, A Postcard for Annie by Ida Yesen, translated from the Norwegian by Martin Aitken. And I know that that last one by Yesen, um, she has at least one other book out from Archipelago that I've seen get a lot of good, um, you know, feedback that's called A Change of Time that a lot of people have really raved about. So that's probably the one, if I had to pick one that I'm really looking forward to, to start off with of the new books, that one is catching my eye. But as always with a publisher like them, it's probably going to be something that comes out of left field and just blows me away. So yeah, I don't know. I thought that would frame a bigger question of, you know, another one of these publishers who just has such a great catalog coming out in 2022. Again, I would encourage people to go do some fun exploring and just figure out which books you might like to pick from them. But yeah, can't wait to see which one's my favorite. And they're so nice to read. I didn't, when I first encountered their books kind of square, you know, I thought, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't, that's pretty, but I don't know if it'll be pleasant to sit down and hold and read. Oh, I love it. I, I love sitting down with their books. They, I don't know what it is. I haven't sat down to kind of try to figure out what the experience is and why it's a little bit different, but I do love reading, reading their books. I know. And, and I, they I look know so gorgeous. I'm a fan of several of the ones they published even just last year. I know. And that's actually one of my things that I, I don't remember if I mentioned this on, in our 2022 episode, but I have neglected so many of their books i mean I've, I've read a lot of them but i start looking at how many i own and i'm like i need to just get going on this and dig in. <laughs> so i think this year i'm going to make a concerted effort to maybe try to read at least like one a month or something like that because um, i feel like there's so many that i just there's no excuse for me not to read these wonderful books from them so it's gonna yeah. be fun out of curiosity um did you read the vyslaw misluski's stone upon stone i did I read that based on your recommendation and I, it was such a good reading experience. I read it in Mexico. We were on vacation mm. and it's one of those, when we talk about reading memories, very strong reading memories of sitting in our hotel room and, and reading that book and taking it to the beach and everything. Yeah. That book is stunning. I was going to say, if, if it's not one that, that you've read and don't have, then you should uh, 
tell him, oh, here's one I want you to curate. But yeah. I'll just leave that as a recommendation for listeners. One of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. No, I did buy Start it. On Snow and specifically because of your recommendations and probably something that you wrote on your blog or talked about in a previous podcast. But yeah, I would second that. It's it's wonderful. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah. Archipelago. Yep. All right. My next two questions that I have, you know, my final two are both much more narrow. They're book focused folks. Okay. So don't, don't worry. We're not going to give you another slew <laughs> of uh, thousands of books to go and look up. Um, my, I'll, I'll go with this one next. Uh, will Ann Tyler's 24th novel, French Braid, win this year's Booker Prize? <laughs> mm, the reason I, I, kinda, like it. I like to put that, she she's an American author, mm. and the Booker Prize controversially uh, opened up from being just a Commonwealth Prize to an everything written in English uh, prize uh, of, you know, earlier in the 2010s. And since then, there have been several American winners. And um, Ann Tyler has been on their long list uh, a, f- a few times. Um, she Well, and shortlist. She was shortlisted in 2015 for a spool of blue thread and then longlisted in 2020 for Redhead by the Side of the Road. And so I'm like, okay, how about French Braid? Is, mm-hmm. uh, is that going to be, be one that does it make the list and will she finally crack through and win? Because uh, Richard Powers, another American author, He's almost every book he's published has been on that list and he has one. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, is, are the Americans going to continue to take over with our, you know, kind of um, long standing, you know, heavy hitting authors that probably would have won the Booker prize 20 years ago, had it been open for Americans, or are they going to be able to do so late in their career? And Tyler, yeah. will you do it? And I'm excited for the French braid. I really do like her books. I do too. I have mixed feelings because I, I want her to win because I talked about this in a previous episode. I feel like I do it un- unconsciously as well, or subconsciously, I guess, um, where I kind of, I, as much as I enjoy her, I always kind of just think of her as like, I don't know what it is, but I don't give her the credit that she deserves, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. And so from that perspective, I would love to see her win something like that. Cause I feel like there are so many people out there who love her work. And I think this would give her even more of a boost and just some legitimacy that she really does deserve. But I also have mixed feelings about the whole Americans winning the Booker thing too often. Yeah. So that's I, the only downside. I was it. not a fan of them opening it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes the award entirely for me. And, and also, yeah. you know, you make room for the Americans. To, that means and they didn't open up how many books were on the long list. It's not like they said, and now we're going to do 20 books on the long list. No, it stayed the same. So right. it just means other books are not going to, to make it. And frankly, and Tyler doesn't certainly doesn't need to win for her own, you know, livelihood. She's right. won the Pulitzer. She's won the national book critics circle award. You know, she's, she's doing fine. Yeah. But I don't know. I I'm, I'd, I'd like to see her do it for the same reasons you do, even though I probably have similar, maybe even more bitter feelings <laughs> than you do about the, the prize. I've, yeah. I've, uh, I've been on record online of, no. Not being a fan of that decision, but it is what it is, and it hasn't gone backwards. So no, that's right. Uh, that's a great question. Well, I guess I'm going to cheat again. Sorry, readers or sorry, <laughs> listeners. One more uh, group of uh, cluster of books. Is and this maybe your last I, one. This is my last one. So my question is: Which of my favorite authors will have the best book coming out this year? Ooh, nice. And, and the reason I asked that is I was looking at this list of of books coming out, and I'm like, a lot of these. 
book, books are people who have been on my top 10 list the last few years, and they're all coming out with new books this year. So it's just kind of a stunning group for me, at least. So the first one that comes to mind for me is Paradise by um, Fernanda Melchor, by New, new Directions. You know, I loved Hurricane Season, and I just can't wait to try this one. I know that it's already starting to get a lot of buzz. Um, the second one, Devil House by John Darnielle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked before about how much I loved Wolf and White Band. Um, and I actually saw that he, I hope it doesn't change because of COVID, but he's supposed to be in Denver at the Tattered Cover next month. And so if I can swing it, I'm going to go try to get a, a signed copy and, and just hear him talk. And I'm really hoping that doesn't get canceled. Um, Trust by Hernan Diaz is coming out in May. Uh, again, in mm-hmm. the distance. Oh, such a stunning book that I absolutely loved. I haven't read it. You, uh, when you said that last time. I put it on my list of things to get to soon. I don't have it. I'm going to go and buy one. Yeah, you should get that one. My wife, I just talked to her into reading it and she agreed that it was really good. Um, and then one more that I saw that's coming out and we've talked about this a little bit is St. Sebastian's Abyss by Mark Haber, our, our uh, good friend. Um, I loved yeah. Reinhardt's Garden and that one's coming out this year too. So I was just looking down this list of books coming out and I'm just like, man, all of these in previous years would have been in my top five, you know, these authors favorite books of the year and sometimes even my top book of the year and they all have books coming out in the same year talk about being spoiled so yeah i'm just kind of curious selfishly and also just maybe you know other people's perspectives on which ones are going to be the great ones that come out and i I forgot to even mention there's also the third part of the trilogy from rodrigo frazan coming out from Mm -hmm. open letter Mm -hmm. books called the remembered part so man talk about just a wealth (laughs) of riches coming out so so which of these are ones that if you're in the middle of a good book, you'll still throw that good book down and pick the, like when you get the new one, mm-hmm. you'll, Boy. you'll discard everything you're doing to go and start it, Jeez, which I'll is at the up. top. I guess if I had to pick only one, it would probably be devil house. Mm-hmm. Something about his books. They're so the impressions they make on me are so strong and so visceral that I, I really want to, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the premise of this next one. And also just some of the memories I have of reading his books are so strong. Um, but I mean, any of those books on that list, I, I would probably drop the book I was reading, to be honest with you. But I think John Darnielle's would probably be the, the top. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for doing that little extra, extra tough question there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last one. So last year I told you there was one episode where I'm like, everything I'm reading is medieval. Right now, I was reading, you know, mm-hmm. Matrix by Lauren Groff and uh, The Last Duel, that that, uh, that historical kind of uh, fun, popular historical uh, type of book. And there were other ones, too. I can't remember right now. And then in our last episode, I talked about starting the going through the Brother Cadfell novels again. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what other medieval book is going to, to be uh, in the running for... Uh, favorite book of the year and it's Otessa Moshfeg's La Pavona uh, which comes out um, in June I think and it's set in a medieval fiefdom uh, buffeted by natural disasters which I'm like oh that's interesting a motherless shepherd boy finds himself the unlikely pivot of a power struggle that puts all manner of faith to a savage savage test and I, I'm excited about about this. Otessa Moshfeg is so interesting. To, her books are so interesting to me. I've, like, 
I haven't connected to that point where it's like a boom, you know, favorite right. of all time, but each one of them has been like mysterious, a little bit elusive to me in a way that I'm like, I, there's something there I might could connect to, to, to make it, you know, to make her one of my favorites. And I'm excited about this one. Again, I, I, I do have a, an early copy of it that I'm going to get to as soon as I'm, I'm done with my Christmas um, you know, reading everything that's sitting on my table all at once yeah, right? <laughs> and excited about this. And I do love the medieval setting. I like that authors, I know it's not like unique. This is not new. Just feels like a lot of these authors, especially these, uh, you know, with Lauren Groff and Tessa Moshbeg going to that period, there's some interesting stuff that they're doing with their, their looks at society and power struggles that are still relevant today but they're looking at them from that other lens that I think is pretty um, special and a little bit unique. At least it feels like that to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think what intrigues me about like what you were just saying basically is that they're going to look, I'm not necessarily a historical fiction guy, you know, across mm-hmm. the board, but when somebody can do something interesting with it, like something different and based on the other Moshfake books that I've read, I would certainly anticipate yeah. that it's going to be, if nothing else, very interesting. You know, I'm thinking of my year of rest and relaxation, for example, which yeah. is just so odd, but like, I can't stop thinking about it. You know, yep, it's that's what so, I'm trying to, that's mm-hmm. what I was trying to say. Like, this isn't, I didn't love this, but I kind of did too, because I know. it was such a unique experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Eileen is the other one of hers that I've read and it's the same type of thing where, you just find yourself like thinking about it over and over again. So no, that's a great choice. I, I um, am definitely going to snatch that one up and I'm glad you mentioned it. You mentioned you had some books that were kind of floating around and you couldn't figure out where to put them. That was one of those for me. So I'm glad uh-huh. you brought it up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm into the medieval thing right now, I guess. So uh, <laughs> there yeah. we go. <laughs> it fit. I, uh, I expect that our next episode, you'll be reading more to Arthur you know, some of the old, you'll be oh, going back to the source materials. Yes, exactly. Yep. Actually, um, I'm, I'm reading some Shakespeare oh. <laughs> and his history plays. And so I have been in the medieval world this last week. I, um, you know, uh, for, for listeners who, who didn't see this uh, on Patreon, I released um, some mm-hmm. early episodes of a podcast I did like a, a decade ago that never quite got off the ground on Shakespeare. And I've loved doing that and I've worked on it for years and I've gotten different things done. I have a whole sequence of a um, hundred episodes for, to cover each play, each poem, as well as many things in the world of Shakespeare. And I've done a lot of work on it. I just didn't know how to do it anymore mm-hmm. um, with life and all that. And I've kind of found the headspace um, with your Shakespeare project made me kind of thinking about, start thinking about that again. So I got back into, you know, reading the, the second part of Henry the sixth right now. And that's all about the war of the roses and what's going on with the end of the hundred years war and between France and England. And that's been a lot of fun. So, you know, maybe in a couple of decades, if I, you know, keep it going, that'll, that'll come out sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's like one of those things, like we talked about with like Suzanne Clark, where she takes like 10 years and everybody's wondering where the book is. And all of a sudden, so that's going to come out to much acclaim. Right. Highly right. publicized. Yes. yes. Yeah. Pro- well, not that, I'm sure. No one, no one will be expecting it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll do my be. part. I'll spread the word. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I Having 
the, the way that this year has started out, I haven't had a chance to dive into my Shakespeare project, mm-hmm. but you've inspired me. That that gives me some enthusiasm to get going. So that's well, it, it was probably a little bit selfish of me. You know, it seemed like such a nice gesture. Oh, Paul, you're starting this project. Here's <laughs> here's some things that might be kind of fun that you can listen to, and I'll share them on Patreon so other Patreon listeners can hear them too. But really, it was to be like, Paul, don't forget. Yeah, no, I need it. Committed to this, That's right. I am going to hound you and and guilt you. <laughs> Big brother is watching. No, I don't take it that way at all. In fact, I'm really looking forward to it, and it kind of gives me some extra enthusiasm. Not that I needed it, but just it's good to have those reminders, and also just to yeah. share that passion. And yeah, it's such a big project that it's exciting, but also a little daunting. So it also gives you a place to kind of start digging in and getting some momentum. So I appreciate it. Well, and again, I don't necessarily think start with like the Henry the Sixth plays, <clears throat> but have you done any more considering what play do you want to read first? I haven't. No, I haven't. Um, I have to admit it. Yeah, that's what slacking. I want to hear from you. That's what yeah. I want to hear is what where you where you're starting because maybe I really what I might do is then dig down into that. Not not you shouldn't feel any pressure here. It'll be totally on the side, and and I might not even get to it, but. My thought was, if as you read a play, I might take that chance to reread it so we can talk about it, but yeah. also so that I can maybe get some more groundwork on on those those scripts. Because again, oh, I've, yeah. got, I've got hundreds of thousands of words already, um, but many to do. And I love that. So anyway. Yeah. No, again, I would love that. Again, no pressure because that is not, that is not, it might not happen and it wouldn't right. be you, but uh no. But I just thought well, that'd be fun. So I'm curious, you know, what what's your what's your poison? You know, what, what are you going to dive mm-hmm. into first? A tragedy, a comedy, you know, a history play? No, I plan to spend period. the next couple of weeks starting to kind of figure that out. So I will absolutely report back, and I appreciate cool. it. Actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. All right. Well, we've recommended a, a whole library of things today, or talked about it. I I hope listeners enjoy that and don't find it frustrating. I'm sure there's both responses like, right. oh, this is not even a helpful podcast if you guys are just <laughs> going to talk about you know a hundred books that that doesn't help me narrow down things at all and i guess that's true we're, we're here more mostly to just have that that fun you know to mm-hmm. to to revel in the riches a little bit but i, I hope you like it and yeah. i think we've got maybe a recommendation or two to end with uh, paul do you have a uh, a recommendation of something, whether book, movie, TV show, yeah. you know, walk. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I got so excited at the beginning. I actually kind of spoiled and I gave away um, the Tessa Hadley. It was going to be my recommendation, mm-hmm. but I ended up just talking about it because I had never read her before. I was just blown mm-hmm. away by that. So I would recommend anybody who hasn't read her stuff in the past just to check out Tessa Hadley. And then also, I mean, <laughs> we just talked about this, but yeah, if if you're a Patreon subscriber, you should listen to those Shakespeare pieces that Trevor put out and, you know, just start diving in with us if you want to. That that would be my other recommendation is just to have fun and, and start diving into that project and share your love with us if you want to. That would be, that'd be fun. So I may use Patreon a little bit to, to test things out on that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but no, just like, um, you know, Hey, here's a, here's a script. If anyone's interested in seeing, mm-hmm. I just, just might be something where that might be where I post things, but I'll, it's not to keep it secret from anyone else. It just seems like a place where I can keep things organized and maybe get a little bit of feedback from people who don't have to be interested and don't have to give feedback. But if there is anybody, that would be kind of fun. Well, my recommendation 
is to go back a few years and pick up Antonio de Benedetto's Zama, which was published by NYRB Classics back in 2016 in a translation by Esther Allen. And this book was on my radar for years because I knew she was working on it. I knew NYRB Classics was going to publish it, but it, it kept getting pushed back a little bit. And I loved this book. I loved it. Um, that year for 2016, I was a judge on the Best Translated Book Award uh, prize, and it made our shortlist. Probably could have won, honestly. Like it was, it, it's it's a strong, strong book, and um, it's it takes place uh, a few centuries ago in an out of the way uh, kind of uh, you know, he's a military leader, but he's he's been exiled almost to, by assignment um, to. Asuncion, Paraguay, which is a long ways away from any cult colonial center that he wants to be at. It's far from his family. And he just, it's, it's a man who's waiting and who's mad and who is also kind of awful mm -hmm. and really loved that book. And the reason that I'm recommending it now is that later on this month, um, you can get a copy of the next book in his, his trilogy, The Silentiary. Um, I did get... Uh, so I have two copies. I've got the arc, which I read. You can see my little tabs, Paul. I oh, love yeah. doing that. Wow. Looks like it was a good one. <laughs> it was. And um, then just the other day, I got the um, the final copy. And so I'll be talking more about that for sure. Uh, very good. This is this is part of his, a part of a kind of a loose trilogy. I don't think it was intended to be a trilogy called the Trilogy of Expectation. So you've got Zama. You've got the silentiary. And then I was like, okay, this is where you usually figure out these kinds of things. Does it say in the um, introduction or in the author pages that NYRB Classics is going to be publishing the third book too? And it doesn't. Yeah. But it does say the translation of this novel and the suicides, the subsequent work by the same author, was supported by a 2018 Guggenheim, Guggenheim Fellowship. Ooh. So... Yeah, Esther Allen's already working on the suicides clearly because it's in it, it, you know that little note on the copyright page. That's how you figure some of this stuff out for right. those interested. Literary detective. On, so I don't know when scene. it'll come out. Is it going to come out in 2028? I know it's been six years since the Zama and, and now we get the Silentiary. Mm. I hope it's not quite that long, but the suicides is the third part of that expectation trilogy. And this is one weird book, the Silentiary, Paul. That's that one weird book. Nice. Uh, very different from Zama, but I can see the, the connection and recommend it. So, but, but yeah, re read Zama, read Zama mm -hmm. folks. That's my real recommendation. The Silentiary is not quite out, but, but do it in preparation for, to dig into these books. I'm going to take that recommendation. Cause I was just thinking about that. I've, I think some of the people that are subscribers to NYRB are starting. My impression is that the Silentiary must be the January book that comes out. I think based on the fact that so many people are starting to, to get it in the mail. And if oh, that's uh -huh. true, then um, that yeah, means it's probably me. coming for me pretty soon. And I was just <laughs> thinking the other day, I really need to reread Zama. So I think I'm going to take you up on that. It's a slim, it's a meaty book, but it's slim. It is. So I think it, you could, if you wanted to, you could read through it relatively quickly. It is the January 2022 selection yes. of the NYRB classics book club comes out hmm. on paper in paperback officially on February 1st. Okay. But, but yeah, so are you going to start trekking to the to the post box again? <laughs> I am until you exactly <laughs> get my steps in. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, mine came I think yesterday, and so 
hopefully they're they're getting those out to to you too. But but it has been a while that I had Mrs. Palfrey before you got yours. So I know we'll have to see. Like I said, I've been seeing a lot of people posting, and I'm going through that whole thing again. But I have been out of town, so maybe it's sitting there waiting for me today. Maybe I'll go do that right after this. Oh, oh, nice! That'll be fun. Let me know. I'm excited for you. And and yeah, you're right. These are small books. Zama was small and took me a surprisingly long time to read. And I I recognize it as I'm reading it. I'm like, and I feel like I'm really, you know, I get only ten pages before mm-hmm. I I feel like I've read a whole novel. And in a good way, I really loved the book. It wasn't a, a chore. It wasn't like that. But I was surprised at how meaty it was. It's a good word. Dense is the wrong word. Meaty is the right mm-hmm. word. And the Celestiary goes down a little bit more smoothly, but um. But yeah, there's a lot going on in it. I I might need to reread it before I talk too much about it because it's it was it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm intrigued if nothing else by the number of tabs that you just showed me that are sticking out of the side of it. That's always a good sign. Yeah. That you were engaged and in, in, intrigued by it. So. Well, do you, have you read the blurb? Should we end with the blurb? Let's end with the blurb. The Silentiary takes place in a nameless Latin America city during the early 1950s. So a different time period from Zama for sure. But here we go. Um, A young man employed in mid-level management entertains an ambition to write a book of some sort. So there's, and he is just kind of like Zama. You start to get to know him and you're like, man, what a creep. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks of embarking on his writing career with something simple, a detective novel, and ponders the possibility of choosing a victim among the people he knows and planning a crime as if he himself were the killer. That way he hopes his book might finally begin to take shape. Wow. <laughs> so that sucked me in. It is, Seriously. I will say that is a little bit like that is, that is a piece of this book. I was surprised at how long it took to even get to where that was going on. There's a lot more going on in this book, but that's definitely a good hook. Wow. I guess <laughs> so. Yeah, man, that makes me even more excited. So, well, Paul, here we are. Been a month since we last did this. We clearly did not uh, learn any discipline to how to do this in a, in a short amount of time. Mm-mm. Maybe we've got to accept that and hope that others will too. <laughs> but it's so nice to chat with you again, and I look forward to next time. It's it, you know we're, we're still doing these every couple of weeks, maybe sometimes every week, but um, I don't, we don't have any plans to to make it go any longer apart from episodes. You know, between yeah. episodes than that. I miss talking to you, so I say we stay on this regular schedule. Nice. We've got a special one coming up next weekend. We're recording with the guests, so we'll leave that as a little bit of a tease because it might fall apart, I guess, you know, if if things (laughs) happen. But but, uh, I'm looking forward to that. So, listeners, thanks again for all of your feedback, your friendliness, your support in every way. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com mooks. Until next time.